yeah, so that's uh, probably good. Um, good evening, and um, yeah, today I'm going to be speaking on the text of Ecclesiastes chapter 11 in the continuing series of Ecclesiastes, and uh, second last chapter and second last part of this series. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I don't have a PowerPoint this evening, and um, I f- think I find it easier to structure everything with, with a PowerPoint, so uh, please bear with me if I need to gather my thoughts a bit more. I didn't realize how much I relied on that tool as a presenting crutch, but I think it's good to be able to give a word um, in season, out of season with PowerPoint, without PowerPoint, so um, it's not me that's central here anyways, it's God's Word and the Lord Jesus and um, the Holy Spirit. And so uh, to open, I'd like to pray and pray for God's aid um, this evening. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word and thank you for the wisdom and the blessing that comes from it. Thank you that um, we can have eternal life through knowing Jesus Christ, and I pray that this evening that you would be glorified and uh, whatever, what takes place here, that you would be central and that your glory would be central. And uh, thank you, Lord, for your son, and uh, please help me uh, to deliver this message in your word. And please let my words be few and your words be many. In, In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So yes, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and uh, I guess the best way to begin is just to read the text. So um, please open and turn to Ecclesiastes 11. So here, here's the, uh, the text here. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out the rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not, be, do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet, know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart, and put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. So many many, many interesting thoughts and truths and wisdom are contained in these short ten verses. It's really quite a brief passage, and 
uh, as we go through statement by statement, essentially, I'm going to seek to find application for the believer in, in the year 2018 for us. What does this mean for us? And, um, and also to understand simply what it says itself. So these two goals are in mind as we go forward. So first verse, uh, I, I, can, I, I have a structure for the overall sections as I saw it. So I've structured this uh, verse ones and verse, verses one and two. I see these as on the topic of material wealth. Verses three to six, um, this I see that we can take application about the work of the gospel. And then verses seven to 10, uh, I see this as a comparison of natural life and we can compare it to Christian life. And it can inform us uh, about sanctification and the Christian life. So that's the structure through three basic um, topics and three basic sections. So beginning at the beginning, um, let's talk about verses one and two. So it says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Now we may look at this and wonder uh, what, it, what does it mean, cast your bread upon the surface of the waters? That sounds like feeding ducks, but um, I don't think it's about that. I don't think Solomon probably didn't have a duck garden or whatever. But um, So we could turn to scholars, and so in, in the scholarly minds, they look at history, and Solomon was a king and engaged in trade by sea. We know this from other books in the Bible, that he had ships, and he traded grain by, by way of sea, the, uh, sea trade. And this was probably new to Israel because um, of the great height of wealth that they reached during that period of time. And so you could look at it like that. Solomon's just um, telling you, wow, it's really great. You can do really well trading grain by sea. I didn't uh, obviously read it like that at first. Um, and also you can look at verse two, you know, um, divide it, divide your strategy to many, many different ships because one might sink and one may come back with the profit. So that, that's really dry for us as I think, I don't know if anyone plans to go and buy a, a boat and trade bread by sea. I don't really recommend this. <laughs> but uh, so how can we see this for ourselves? Um, I thought of, strangely, for what came to mind for me was uh, really what I think is an odd parable in Luke chapter 16. I mean, we may turn there, but we won't read the whole thing for the sake of time and, and um, to stay on topic. But this is a really strange parable called the parable of the unrighteous steward. And there's a rich man who has a steward, and this steward is bad at his job. He's squandering the possessions of his master. And so he's going to lose his job. So what he does is he goes and forgives debts of, of uh, people who owe his master debts, and so gains favor with them. And it ends with this, this uh, verse. And I say to you, in verse 9 of Luke 16, it says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. And contained elsewhere in the scriptures, 
it also has the, the phrase, um, you cannot serve God and money later. So, actually, I read this two years ago, and I don't think I ever really had a conclusive answer in my mind about, about what this meant, but I think they're related uh, in that what it, what it means, you know, bread, bread is perishable. Bread does not last, and what it's talking about in both cases is uh, so-called unrighteous wealth, which it's not that it's gained unrighteously necessarily, it's just that all wealth is basically um, not lasting, basically. It's not eternal, and bread is not eternal, and all of our material everything is not eternal. And so what this casting your bread on the waters, I see it as a, a call to hospitality. I was surprised when I went to read Spurgeon's uh, notes on it, and he had the same idea. You know, give your hospitality, even to unworthy people, because it's, you're not going to be able to keep it. And as Christians, we do have a, a call to hospitality uh, for different reasons. So, um, you know, for example, at Northbrook, we have uh, these potlucks, and I, this is a wonderful thing, and it's a good opportunity to draw people who may not um, show up all the time. And maybe they'll hear the gospel and, and, and turn their lives over to the Lord Jesus. And so what is the worth of a soul? What, what are you comparing here? Cast your bread on the surface of the waters? It's Sure, it's a long shot. I mean, I look at this, casting your bread on, on the waters, it's like throwing bread into the ocean. You have very little prospect of return. But that's the power of hospitality, I believe. You can change, you can have a part in, in changing the heart of a person because someone can be very thankful for a place at a table or a plate of food. It, it costs us little, you know, we have too much food here in Canada. And, um, and so that's how I see it. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight. So this numbers thing that's going on, divide your portion to seven or even to eight, that just means many, like seven or eight or nine or 10 or 11 or 12. It, it's hinting at this uh, manyness. It's a, it's a figure of speech. And so unworthy people, many, may, many unworthy people. No, none of us were worthy of, of hospitality at some point in our, in our lives. I think of Kirk and his street ministry and how uh, sometimes people on the street, well, all the time actually, ask um, passerbys for money and food. And quite often, um, guys who go out on street ministry, it really is street ministry because they minister to people on the street. And one time he got the privilege of telling the gospel to a guy who had always been um, poisonous against Kirk. And he had been so opposed to the gospel. But he saw an act of compassion that uh, he was willing to buy food for, for someone else. And so this this uh, hospitality made him interested in the gospel. You know, your, your actions are where your words are, and you're interested in helping people in, with more than just words, and he's not just out there to, to just to preach. He's, he has a heart for these people. And, and so that, that to, hit to, the, to the guy, um, he's now interested in the gospel because he can see. Um, see this hospitality. So those are a couple of reasons why I believe hospitality is something that's uh, deep in my heart and, and I hope one day to later in life to have the 
the chance to be hospitable. It's a personal goal of mine, just because I, I believe in the importance of it. And so that's how I read, read those first two verses for me. Yeah, I'm not going to be a sea trader anytime soon, so um, it's good advice for... Um, we have a saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's kind of universally <laughs> true, I think. Um, so, uh, moving on to verses 3 to 6. So this is the work of the gospel. <clears throat> if the clouds are full, they pour out the rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. This verse represents um, the many things that can happen. Mm. In, a, in the context of the metaphor, it's for a farmer <coughs> and the weather. So a farmer watching the weather will decide perhaps how to sow his seed in the morning or evening by watching what's going on. And that verse is a, a, a contrasting verse. You can notice the clouds are full, they pour out rain. So that's something you can see it coming, but you can't stop it. And whether a tree falls towards the south or towards the north, that's a random thing that you can't see coming um, but you also have no control over it again. So this is the framing for the next verse, which says, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Basically, it's saying you can always make an excuse to not do things. You can always make an excuse to not, um, especially for what I want to talk about is, is to be part of spreading the gospel. It's really easy to... Um, just let it go by for whatever reason. You will always be able to find an excuse. I believe that's what that's saying. And so the advice is <clears throat> sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. So the seed is the gospel. And so we don't get to choose kind of when our activities should take place, nor are the conditions ever going to be to us looking optimal. It's probably the most difficult thing to um, share the gospel with, like a close friend who you've known for a long time, but you haven't shared the gospel with them. It's easier when you s first make a friend and you say, by the way, I'm a Christian and I believe this, but um, the longer you leave it, the more excuses are always going to be there. So, But the, the power is in prayer, and we can always turn to God to change these things, but those are my observations in my own life, and also with, with for example, um, I guess we're turning back to, to working on the street ministry again, it's always possible for me to find an excuse to not go out, and um, I think that's important to notice just because whether rain or shine, I should probably just go, and because it's, a, it's of eternal value, it's of eternal worth, to do the Lord's work, and it's a privilege to be part of that. And so um, this, is, this is what I see in this passage. I mean, you could look at it as just a farmer, observations of Solomon about how farmers act, but I really think for us, for the modern believer, you know, a devotional reading is, is more um, directed towards our lives. And so verse 5, we can look, um, continuing on, just as you do not know the path of the wind, and uh, wind is also spirit here, learn that today, uh, and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. So in this verse, uh, I see 
that we don't know God's full activity in both salvation and sanctification. So salvation is still a miracle. We still don't know how to, uh, we still can't save anyone. God saves people. It's a miracle every time. And a heart that needs regeneration, unfortunately we can't regenerate it. And um, we need to pray and to, to seek the Lord for, for that person. And it's, it's God's work. Just, just like, um, you know, a, a young a baby formed in the womb or, or the path of the Spirit. We read today in John 3, verse 8, it says this, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So you can see the effect of the wind. You can see a tree blowing around branches waving, but you can't see the wind itself. And so there's this mystery of God's work, which is hidden to us to some extent. We don't know um, which person to hand a tract to on the street. So just hand a tract to everyone, because um, whether they, whatever their appearance, we don't, we don't know. We can tell when someone is saved, um, because they start like understanding the scriptures, for example, and there's a young person in this church who's really showing that they, they're understanding things well, and um, that, uh, that's a sign of, of salvation, because being able to discern things is definitely um, an effect. It's like the tree waving its branches from the wind. You know, you, have, you can have certainty. Um, and also in sanctification. So there's these dual sides, salvation and sanctification. I believe they should be considered together most times. And so if I turn to, if you'd like to turn to Romans 8, verses 26 to 28, this is one place where I'd like to point out that um, God is working in us, in me and in you and in each Christian, on our hearts and he's making us fit for eternity, and he's also making us fit for service, perhaps, that we don't yet have in mind. Uh, we don't know the future, but God may desire that he may call on any one of us to um, do something different that for, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. So the Spirit is working in us, and, and this is one of the texts I'd like to look at. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. I, I meant to end at 28 there, but that's okay. So you see here, it's not on the Christian to live the, the Christian life. I heard recently a comment um, of, from someone, and it was that they didn't want the Christian life because it seemed like too great a burden. And it would appear that way if 
if it was up to us to live the Christian life, if it was up to us to be sanctified, but that's by definition not what sanctification is. It is the work of God on us and not our works to reach God. I mean, it's, that's why it goes hand in hand, in hand with salvation. Um, no one was ever saved by works. God saved every person who was ever saved. And so, once again, it's God reaching to us and into our hearts. And, you know, we're like clay in the hands of the potter, not... And as I, said, I said to someone recently, like, I'm, I'm just like fancy dirt, basically. I'm not... I don't deserve to have anything in special. I'm just like dirt that got too fancy and then started getting up, walking around. And... Um, so it's really God who deserves the glory. You know, he created us. And so he, his role is central, even in the Christian's life of, of, of Christian living. So it's not a burdensome thing. It's just a, a faith thing. We need to have faith and believe that even, even, when, even when I've failed, I need to have faith and believe that God is greater than that and um, continue to walk towards him, if I could just make a metaphor, just to keep seeking God and to never give up on that and always seek God and always um, continue to pray and always continue to seek a close relationship. And that's my part of sanctification. My work is to believe on the one that God sent. I know that. So um, my, my work is faith. So God's work is, is also in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. I'll just read it. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not, in, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So these amazing missionaries and, and people of God that we can read about, um, you know, like, you, you, you could give more examples than I could, I'm sure. I'm, I'll just give one. I'm reading about Cory ten Boom and her experience in um, Nazi Germany and smuggling a Bible into a concentration camp. And so these, these people just clung to God, and God did miracles. And so we can have fear and trembling because it's good to fear God, but it's God who's working in us and in in the greatest heroes, uh, to work and to will for his good pleasure. So, once again, it's not you or I that's central, but the Lord. And so I see this in, um, th this was all connected to the works of God that we don't know about. We don't necessarily know, like, um, who's going to be empowered to be uh, this missionary to do these things, like, you know, History books are written after the fact, so you can't see it coming. And, and so the Spirit of God is mysterious, and it's like the wind. We can't see it coming, but we can only see the effect in retrospect. <clears throat> and so the last section here is um, verses 7 to 10. And so this I have as a contrast between the natural mortal life and the eternal Christian life, or, or I'm going to generate a contrast here, because we can notice in this chapter, Solomon, and in, the, in Ecclesiastes in general, Solomon 
you know, we've kept hearing under the sun and phrases like that, and it's a, it's a world without God represented here in the Bible, interestingly. I mean, it's, it's God's word. It's in the Bible. He wants it to be here. He wants us to read it and consider it. But what Solomon is kind of uh, explaining is it doesn't occur in this chapter under the sun, the phrase, and actually he mentions God twice, so we're making great progress, actually. <laughs> we're getting towards the goal. Um, and the last chapter even brings more of that. Um, but in verses 7 to 10, we'll see that it's a description. If you read it, it's a description of life without God. I see it. That's how I see it. So I'll read it. Um, the light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Doesn't that just bless your soul? Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and, the impulses, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes. Yet, Know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. So doesn't that just sound like someone who knows that God exists but isn't saved? That's what it, it, it sounds like to me. Um, you know, follow your heart and just try and uh, live the best life you can and just try to enjoy your youth and it's it's all going to be over one day and just so you know God's going to judge you at the end of it as well and um, all of this will be futility for you. I mean that's that's basically what it says. You can read it and it just sounds just like a description of life without God and there's it's uh, lacking repentance. That's what I see is the key ingredient Solomon knows so many things, and he's so wise, but he, he doesn't tell anyone, you know, you need to repent of your ways and follow God's ways. And so we can contrast this. Um, instead of one day you will die and God will judge you for your actions, um, we can consider the life of the Christian. And, um, and this is not the best we can do. Uh, we have a much better way because we have um, knowledge of Christ because of the word of God and we can know, we can hear of Christ through the word and, um, and it can give meaning to our life, meaning and context. So the passage I have that I think describes this so well, so well, um, the outlook of the Christian is 2 Corinthians 4. This is such a wonderful passage to me because, um, and, and chapter 5 as well in connection to it, but it, it, it's highlighting the eternal versus the temporal. You know, eternity, the vast, infinite future versus our, our, our day-by-day mortal um, material existence. So we can read, <coughs> and with this I think I'll finished uh, mostly so here it says therefore since we have this ministry as we receive mercy we do not lose heart but we have renounced the the things uh, the things hidden because of shame not walking in craftiness 
or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I mean, we have so many things here. Ministry, you know, purpose in life, a mission of eternal weight. You know, it matters what you do in ministry. Um, God cares about what we do as Christians. Not, not for us to be judged because of sins, but judged because of what you've done that's of value. Um, that's another reason why casting your bread on waters, you know, that's a good idea because you can gain something of eternal value from something that's not of eternal value. Doesn't that seem like a pretty good deal? You can, you can use your, what you've been given um, to gain a, an eternal reward. And um, I won't read this whole passage, but really it, the whole chapter is so, so much to me an answer. Yeah, if I was to read Ecclesiastes 11 forever, I would, I would become depressed. But if I read 2 Corinthians 4 forever, um, I think I would just grow, grow in zeal for the works of God. And um, what I'd like to skip to is verse uh, 16. And to the end, we can read, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So this spiritual discernment that comes with salvation we have. And as Christians, we, wisdom, I believe, is to look on those things which are eternal. And wisdom is to live in light of, of eternity. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes has been seeking on earth, um, looking here and there at various things, all these different things. And it hasn't been a good, um, yeah, it hasn't been a good survey, I guess, because it, it left out the eternal things. And um, Solomon had definitely had knowledge of these things. And uh, I think as Christians, it's, it's, it's on us to definitely look at the eternal, look at uh, the purpose of our lives, our lives in Christ. I was thinking today, you know, it's, it's a great day. It's a great day to be alive because today we have life in, through Christ we have life by the, the spirit of life and not through the flesh. And this eternal life, this eternal side of life goes on forever. Like life in the flesh doesn't go on forever. One day we'll be freed from that. But today, to the extent that we're able to live eternally, that, that life goes on forever. Today, sitting here, you know, or standing here, um, to the extent that we are with God on earth, that continues forever, and so we can we can rejoice and we can be be glad because you know we don't have to look at it as oh well I'm here now and this is everything and then I die and then that's everything no today now this is also part of that eternity eternity started already if you've been saved so this is this is this is a great reason to rejoice and so this is wisdom as a Christian is to not think like how Solomon presents it in Ecclesiastes. Um, I guess example by negative is okay. You can learn also by what not to do. But better to follow the examples of uh, 
great Christians and, and well, really it's Christ who is great, but people who have given their lives to God. And um, I hope to grow in faith and grow in salvation and to be like examples that have been set before me. Hebrews 12, I have it written, but um, you know we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And all that is left to do is just to uh, have faith in God and pray that he would see fit to use us in a way that is significant to him, to glorify him. And um, there's nothing really that I could do or you could do, apologies, in, in your own strength. And we're all, we need fear of God. That's what we need, um, to live in fear of God. So, um, yeah, I'd like to close and uh, just comment. Please pray for one another. Pray for one another. Please pray for me. And uh, as we can seek to live eternally, live eternally here. <clears throat> so let's please close in, <coughs> close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that it reveals to us. Um, thank you for the Holy Spirit and sending... Uh, not to leave us alone, but to send us a comforter and one who can work within us and alongside us. And uh, I pray that our minds would be fully set on things above and fully um, set in obeying uh, the mind of the spirit of life and not, not to be uh, stuck in old ways of the flesh, but to be renewed day by day. And I pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.